Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Glenn Sampert, General Manager at the iconic Intercontinental Miami, a 653-room luxury hotel situated on the beautiful Biscayne Bay in the heart of Miami. Glenn, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Super. So listen, we're just going to dive into this like I always do and ask that Same question that I ask everybody. How did you decide or how did you get into the hospitality business? I think my first moment of moving towards this career was grade nine French, growing up in Vancouver, British Columbia. And at that time, French was not required past grade eight. And in the first days of French 9, everybody was speaking French except Glenn. And I had to wait a week until I could transfer out, and I transferred to the food class. Really? Wow. So, you know, being a guy from Montreal, we were, of course, speaking French from, you know, grade 1 type of thing. Not very well, but, you know, as best as we could. So was that first food class in high school what kind of drove you into going to, I guess it's the British Columbia Institute of Technology, which is where they have the hospitality program there? Yes, there was a lot of twists and turns, but essentially that was my first exposure to the culinary, you know, discipline and did that, you know, for a couple of years in school. But really what it did is it led me to my first job in a restaurant, like many of us who joined the hospitality business as a busboy, and then a short-lived career as a waiter, which I was terrible at, and then quickly into culinary, which I hit more my stride. But really, it was that journey into into restaurants, which I did through high school just to keep, you know, money and gas in the car. And then it was, you know, as we were finishing up high school and and all of us take the journey of what do I do? I thought about going into food. And so actually the first um, post-secondary school that I went into was a food services technician, which was at a local community college. And I actually have an associate degree, if you will, in food sciences. And the goal was to become a really an assistant dietitian in a healthcare setting. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And then how did it switch from that into, because... I always, now I could be wrong, but, and for the listener in Topeka, Kansas, Glenn and I have worked together when we were together to start with Dave's. I always thought you were a rooms guy. So I was in the hotel side, in the hotel business, but before hotels, it was all on the food side. And so then to answer your, your question, I completed that associate 
degree in, I think I was three years, I think I was 21 and had just started, it had been working in Switch in Canada, as some of you may know, are really government institutions and realized very quickly that there was very little career progression in that chosen field. There were people who were in their fifties doing the job and, and I was 21. And I really, at that point, after having gone to school, realized I need to challenge myself in a different way. And then that's when, when hotels seemed like a great way to do that. And then I went straight into quality and tourism diploma program um, at this uh, technical institute that you mentioned. So that was really the start of my hotel career was dating back, you know, to when I was 21 and going to school. And so you graduate from BC Tech or whatever the short name of it would be. And what was the first gig out of that school? Did you go right into rooms or, or where'd you go? Yeah, actually it was at, as we were finishing up that last year of the BCIT program was time really ideally with the world exposition that Vancouver was able to host in the mid eighties. And so I actually worked for a property that was a converted healthcare facility into a hotel for the world exposition and got hired as a bellman. And then within about a week, I think I got promoted to the front desk. So I started in the room side doing that Worked there until I graduated with my other associate degree and then went into very fortunately directly into a luxury hotel and at that time it was a limeridian brand in vancouver it's still a great property today under a different flag but i spent you know nine wonderful years in one hotel learning the discipline starting in rooms operations front desk into management and then really into what was the beginning of revenue management in the you know in the early 90s so nine years in Vancouver, working up through the ranks. And then what prompted the move? Because again, for the listener in Topeka, when you live in British Columbia, it's ideally, in my humble opinion, the most beautiful province of Canada. And then you have the East Coast, which is a little like, you know, the Northeast here in the States. But you somehow found your way, if I remember correctly, you went into Toronto, into Sutton Place? Correct. And so it was the same company. It was an internal promotion slash transfer. And yes, in Vancouver, when you tell people at that time, you're going to move to Toronto, they all look at you like you're insane. Yeah. And uh, we did it for the, it was an opportunity to grow my career and go into, I think it was this realization that there was more out there than what I had experienced, you know, in, in Vancouver. And it just kind of began the journey. So you know, knowing that it's Tuesday, thanks, I'll interject right away before, you know, I completely forget because the person who I'm most thankful along my entire career journey is my wife. She's the one that agreed, you know, to do this first move and leave, you know, all family and friends and join me in this journey that that was just the first step in. But really, it was just a career driven move to go to this sister property in Toronto and, you know, see what I could learn. Yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a big move, obviously, because one of the things that I found, you know, at, coming out of school in Montreal was, you know, hotels, while it was a good career in Canada, was kind of limited, right, as to how far you could go. And you'd have to really make some creative moves. And I made the decision very early on to get to the States as soon as I could. 
which took a couple of years, but it, it worked out well. So, so now you're in Toronto, you're at Sutton Place, which, what was the management company that ran that? Because that was a that was a world class hotel. Yes. So it was, it really was a standalone company. I think when I first joined, it was part of Trust House Forte, but then really we became our, our own, you know, internal management company and really Sutton Place Hotels was the management company. And at that time, the owner had purchased, I believe, all the North American hotels that were under that Meridian brand at the time. And so they had a number of hotels in different U.S. as well as Canadian cities. So it was, it really was just a small management company. And then the opportunity came up within a couple of years to go to a Sheraton hotel. So in Toronto at the Gateway, a great hotel, the Sheraton Gateway in Toronto, as you know, and that was ended up being really fortuitous. It was right after Barry Sternlich had made the deal for Weston and before he had made the deal to purchase the Sheraton brand from ITT. So it really was then an opportunity to be ground floor with, with Starwood, as, as you know. Yeah. And then, you know, and I'm going to tick off. Luckily, I don't think I have any listeners in this next city that you went to. But you're in Vancouver, world-class, beautiful city. You go to Toronto, again, world-class, you know, I'm a Montreal guy. I can't say really nice things about Toronto. I'm just not allowed. But then you go to the Pittsburgh of Canada, in my opinion, which is the lovely city of Hamilton. What was that all about? So I, first of all, am a huge fan of Hamilton. It starts with the people, but the Hammer is a great, great city, but it, it was a good story. So that had been the, the Sheraton and Hamilton was a franchised hotel at the time. And I, the owner put the hotel up for sale. And at that time, you know, the intention was grow Starwood, growing the brands. And I don't think that, that the senior leadership wanted to lose a flag. And so Starwood Canada kind of rode in and purchased it almost overnight. And so then all of a sudden we had to do a transition and Starwood, as you may recall, did have a, a transitions team at the time, but we had just finished purchasing all of the assets in French Polynesia and our transition team, I guess, had the choice. Are they going to go to go down to Bora Bora in French Polynesia? Or are they going to go to Hamilton, Ontario? So I got the manual, a great iconic hotelier, Jack Bauscher, from years ago, I got the Jack Bauscher manual and a few conference calls. And my general manager, who was a great mentor to me, Gerardo Barrios, who was the general manager at the Sheraton Gateway, you know, put me in the chair with the support of Steve Foster, another, you know, great iconic hotelier from Canada. Between the two of those gentlemen, you know, put me in that seat and did the transition and then rolled into, not immediately, but then rolled into a director of operations role at that property as we, you know, as we were taking it over and stabilized. And then a couple of years later, I moved into my first general manager's job. So I did spend a oh, better part of five years at that hotel, you know, learning the difference between operations and everything that a GM does, which, you know, is operations plus plus. Yeah. And remind me if I'm correct, you, you led the Six Sigma effort there too as well, didn't you? 
Correct. And, and very soon after joining the hotel as director of operations, we became a Six Sigma company. And then I was tasked to, to learn that. And then, which was really great experience to, to learn process improvement and, and ahead of its time for hospitality and, you know, whether or not everything, every dollar we ever, you know, said we improved because of Six Sigma was true or not. It taught me a lot of really great lessons and not just about, you know, root cause analysis. It really was about people and learning who's, you know, who's for, who's against and change management was was really at the, the core of that discipline, which I use today. Yeah, and I think, you know, Six Sigma had a really bad name when it came out, you know, because of, you know, they thought GE making widgets, all that kind of stuff. But to your point, I really felt like it helped with people thinking outside of the norm because it challenged you to say, okay, look at this situation and how can we look at it differently? And so while I was, I think, a green belt at best, I really enjoyed working with a good Six Sigma team because you could actually give them the chance to say, hey, here's our situation. How can we make it better or how can we do it differently? And they were able to take that process management thing and really look at it. So I, I was always a big fan, even though it scared a lot of people. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it was ahead of its time for sure. It was and, and making decisions based on data and not just what we think and really getting down you know, still talk about it today. Now I call it level five thinking. So much happens out there at level one, right? Where, where people ask a question, accept an answer and, and go on. And you're lucky if you get it right half the time. You've got a fighting chance to come up with some decent decisions when you use data and then you really do get input from everybody and not just the, the so-called experts in the room. Yeah, no, absolutely. So five years in the lovely city of Hamilton, which has great weather. And so you probably loved it so much there that you said, well, I've got to go somewhere where the weather really sucks. And of course that takes you to Hawaii. Takes me to Maui. Yes. <laughs> so at the, the, the short story on this one was I had been a GM for three years at that Sheraton hotel. It was definitely time for my next role. It, and I was, I was, you know, trying to swing for the fences. I was interviewing for the Weston in Tokyo for all sorts of GM jobs that were really going to help me learn. And, and that's the one thing is, as I know, you know, and your listeners know, if you're a curious person, you're going to be curious, you know, every single day of your life. And I was really interested with what don't I know? What could I learn and how do I stretch? And I actually got, I got, was getting pretty, you know, close at some of those positions, but it was really, you know, it was the things that were holding me back was a lack of, at that time, international experience. And, and I remember the phone call, you know, very specifically when Steve Foster called me and said, Hey, Glenn, they asked me to, to tell you about this opportunity. I know you're not going to want to do this, but I said I would. And he tells me about this hotel manager job at the Westin Maui. And at that time, I think it was the number two EBITDA earner in the company. It was kind of neck and neck with the Phoenician resort. And it was a great, a great resort, but they, and they had a wonderful general manager and they were really struggling with an ops lead. And so then the idea came, I think it was from Jeff Bellotti, as I heard it, that they just needed maybe to pull a GM from a smaller hotel to help run, you know, ops in uh, at the Western Maui. So I went home with that little bit of information to said wife, Kathy, and 
fully expected her to shut it down. And then I don't know what would happen to her at work that day, but she was like, that's interesting. And, and we took that big leap. And as you know, if you've left, you know, one country to go to another, you have to cut all ties financially. It's hard. You don't hedge your bets because of the taxation. So mm -hmm. we ended up, you know, selling everything, lock stock, two smoking barrels and off to the island of Hawaii. We went for a wonderful, you know, career experience and life experience, frankly. Well, and Kathy is Canadian, correct? She is. Yeah. So she, she wasn't able to work in Hawaii then, right? At least um, at the beginning. Yeah, not at the beginning. I had gone on a um, L1A, you know, intercompany transfer, and she was actually able to apply for an L2, and she was able to work. It didn't take her that long, actually, but uh, she was able to to work in the U.S. Yeah, because a lot of times you have to take that into consideration, right? When you're going back and forth on countries, if your spouse or a significant other is working, then they can't work, and it can become quite a decision breaker. It was not a short-term financial win, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the cost of living in Hawaii is probably a little higher than Hamilton, Ontario. Well, I, did, I did live in Oakville. I actually never moved to Hamilton as much as I, I loved it. I, really? Uh, yeah. Well, Kathy still was working in Toronto, so it made oh. sense. So how long of a commute is it from Oakville to back then to Hamilton? It was a wonderful commute. It was against traffic, and oh, I, I want to say it was 20, 25 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I got to stop picking on Hamilton. But I do, Brian, and, and for anybody who listens who may, you know, have a fondness for Hamilton, please um, just ignore Brian. Yeah, the the weather there between July twelfth and the fifteenth is really nice. It's amazing, um, and there's a lot of waterfalls. Don't yeah, forget the waterfalls. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I I have a good friend who's a big fan of Hamilton, and I yeah. tease him about it all the time. And but so all right, so we're out in idyllic Maui. How long did you spend out there? It was two years, and the intention was to not go back into the hotel manager role for, you know, a long time. I think the hope and the plan had been that I would become a general manager in Hawaii. And then timing kind of stepped in a little bit in that where because of some different developer and, and changes, a lot of the Hawaiian properties changed hands, were redeveloped, and brought in new general managers around a year after I got there. So by the time Glenn was ready to go and need to be a GM, everybody had kind of been in their seat. And so it just it just didn't work out that way, which was then when an opportunity came at, to go to Los Angeles, you know, again, at a large, you know, Westin Hotel, that one made sense. And, and then I made the move to L.A. to leave the Westin Los Angeles airport which was, you know, not an easy hotel, but it was certainly, and it still is, it's a big, busy hotel and a gateway market. And it was an exciting opportunity. Yeah, that hotel, I mean, I've had the pleasure of staying there so many times during your leadership and then others. And it's just, it's just like a factory. I mean, it's just, it, it seems like they have like 600 in, 600 out every single day. It's crazy. That's a normal day. And what if that opportunity did for me, frankly, was that, that brought me into another owner for the first time in my career outside of the Starwood experience. It was in is owned by host hotels. So that was a, a great opportunity to then work with asset management at a very high level. And I learned a lot from, from my asset manager, as much as the at that time, the Southern California team. I thought there was a very strong team for Starwood in that part of the country. And it was, again, a really great place to learn. And I can't remember if it was when you were the GM there or not, but I remember talking to either you or the, another GM when they were trying to do a room renovation. And, you know, Host is a really great owner 
and they're really analytical and methodical at what they do. But just the volume of occupancy of that hotel makes the renovation very, very difficult and having to keep online. I don't, was that during your tenure or was, or am I thinking of? During my tenure was the meeting space. We did all the meeting space. I was not there for a room's renovation. And you're right, the displacement in a big, busy hotel like that was challenging. And the room product was kind of first generation Weston, but it still looked good. We, we focused on upkeep and preventive maintenance. And I think we made it hard for ownership to say, we got to do this. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, that hotel and then doing some work in Vegas, trying to get a room's renovation done in a Vegas property where you're full all year round. It's just so difficult to, to say, oh, we're going to take all this revenue out of our pocket. But boy, they put the uh, process management into a renovation like crazy. So so you've got now, you've got resort experience, you've got city center experience, you've got airport experience. You then from LA, of course, you don't like to do little moves, I remember. You don't like to like say, oh, I'm gonna move, you know, a hundred miles away, you know, anchor in LA and then all the way down to the Bahamas. Well, this is where you come in, Brian, if you recall. So I apologize for that. No. So the one thing I learned, you know, when I was in Hawaii is I love resorts. I mean, it just the that part of the business where people really want to be there. And it's really about, you know, for the road warriors that we were used to, you know, having in our hotels on the week you know, on the weekdays, week in, week out, for them to now enjoy really the spoils of that lifestyle, whether it's earning points or just, you know, being able to afford to go to these wonderful destinations. I love that. And so then, you know, going to Los Angeles was really about, okay, becoming a big hotel general manager, which ultimately was why I went to Maui was, you know, to change the paradigm of being in a small hotel, you have to go to a big hotel. And and I did that. And that's what LA also represented. And then my intention and probably stayed a little longer in Los Angeles due to the, you know, the great recession than it was originally the plan. So four years later, and when, you know, you came in the picture, of course, we were talking about a different resort in a different part of the country that for a few reasons wasn't going to be, you know, a good idea. So we met and then you say, hey, and there's this other thing (laughs) and I just need you to go see my friend on the other coast of the country and had me on a plane out to, to Florida so that I could meet and talk about the amazing opportunity at the Sheraton Nassau Beach Resort and the Bahamas. And Graham Davis was, I remember going for that interview that you set up, I think, first with, you know, Mr. Milas and then with Mr. Davis. And and I got there thinking I was coming in to interview and it turned out he was just going to tell me what the job was like. But so I have you to thank, Brian. Uh, well, I, I don't know. About sincere it. thanks. It was a great experience. Well, you know, and it's funny because Graham was on the show earlier this season and, you know, like you, he determined at a very young age in the hotel business that he only wanted to do resorts because it was the providing of experiences to guests versus, you know, that city center hotel where you're just checking them in, checking them out type of thing. And so it's very similar. And, you know, he has gone on to great things at Mahamar, obviously, but you also had a, a great opportunity there in Nassau. That was fun. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was that was a my third country to live in, which was interesting to me. It was 
going into probably a challenging situation. You know, we opened that resort at the worst possible time, you know, during the recession. And it was really just struggling to find its way in that market. And at the same time, it was the meant to be the first hotel as part of the Bahamar development. So half of the interest for me really was to get the that ringside seat to, at that time, the largest hospitality development in the Western Hemisphere and, and literally be there from, you know, the the ring road, you know, ribbon cutting all the way to the topping off ceremony for the casino hotel. It was a great experience. And then I just, the life experience there, and, and I have such fond memories of my two years there and the people that I worked with. And yeah, a, a really, a great experience that Kathy and I both still talk about today as being, you know, really impactful to us. And so that that was a great one. Yeah, that should have been, you know, and it's it's so nice to see Bahamar come into its own under Graham's leadership and all the stuff that they've done there because, you know, we envisioned it one way and I don't think we envisioned it the right way at Starwood, to be honest with you. And the way they've gone about it now with their, their the way it's actually ended up, I think is far greater than what our vision at the time had been for it. Yeah, I think the idea made sense from a branding perspective of having all of the great Starwood brands representative, but only having one you know, loyalty program to try to make it all work may have been, you know, short-sighted. So now working with a collection of hotels and, and great brands, I think it's, I'm, I'm, I was so happy to hear, you know, see it being successful. And I actually have never stayed, so I do need to go back and stay, but it was a, a really great learning experience on, on many levels. And so I'll thank you, Brian, for helping be part of the catalyst. <laughs> Well, again, I apologize for having sent you down there, but or or being a part of getting you there. But so again, now there's a theme with you, right? So the theme with your career progression and journey has been big leaps, right? So Hamilton, Hawaii, Hawaii, LA, LA, NASA. And then we go from saying, okay, I don't want to be around a beach or an ocean anymore. Now I need the desert. So where could I go for that next resort? And of course, you end up at the Westin La Paloma in Tucson. So that one was no one's fault. So what actually happened with Sheraton Nassau was the because it was really difficult under the you know the operating conditions at that time. That was where the former leadership of Bahamar and former ownership and Starwood decided this is not working, and the hotel you know left the system and was converted back into an all-inclusive with a different brand. And so then it became, okay, well now, you know, Glenn needs a, a new opportunity. And so then that's when, you know, the Western opportunity was for La Paloma, a great, you know, it had just gone through a transformative renovation, wonderful Nicholas Golf and great result, you know, great, you know, also great iconic desert resort so it was an easy decision for you know for myself is to you know felt very fortunate to have that opportunity to go there and, and lead a great hotel yeah i was there earlier this year for some golf with our good friend steve shallot who you know is still in the tucson area and the property still looks great it's still an iconic you know resort in that community i think yeah, great owners. They did a wonderful renovation and uh, they, you know, 
connections into the Tucson community. So it's in good hands. And yeah, and Steve actually retired while I was general manager and, you know, bought his house and moved back. So shout out to Steve. Hope he golfs every day. Yep. No, he's, he's doing very well. So, so I think if I remember correctly, La Paloma is really the, I don't want to say the end, but the, the end of your Starwood journey, right? Because I think after that you left Starwood to join HEI. Correct. It was, and that was the, had never really happened to us before, but both my wife and I were really allergic to Arizona, which was heartbreaking because we both love the desert. We were super happy there. And as I said, it was a great career experience. We just couldn't take the desert. And so it became obvious we had to leave. And so when that happened, you know, when it was an opportunity to, you know, presented itself, there was a wonderful hotel in, in Boston, which was a Starwood brand, but on the franchise side, the Liberty Hotel, luxury collection, amazing historical property, the old Charles Street Jail from 1851. And a gentleman who was chief operating officer at the time, Brian Mayer, a good, you know, a good guy. And going back to those Starwood Six Sigma days, you know, invited me to come talk about the the hotel. And I, I really, again, part of me was awesome hotel, you know, although it wasn't resort, it did have resort-like programming and still does. The activations in the hotel really drive a lot of traffic and excitement in the hotel. And that's interesting to a hotelier is, is having a story to tell with your, with your building and, and that hotel had it. And then also to learn, you know, the, the third party management side. I had been in, you know, again, the first 10 years was kind of single owner operator environment. And then going into, for the better part of 20 years, into, you know, a, a corporate brand managed world with th some third party owners, going right into the third party space was to me just that next journey of learning and HEI, you know, presented that opportunity and I took it. Yeah. I mean, that third party management company thing is definitely a different ball game than when you work for the brand, right? So definitely a great time there. So now from the Liberty you made your first foray into the corporate world, I think, right? As a regional VP of ops. How did that transition come about and how did you feel the transition went? So, I mean, that was the really the interesting part of that experience was that wasn't my intention. In fact, I've, you know, had avoided corporate roles, you know, for a look, you know, a good long time in my career only because I, you know, someone told me a long time ago, you know, stay close to the cash register and the customers. But I really love being an on-property GM. But again, uh, being as someone who just wants to keep learning when there's the operations side and the CEO, CEO side of HEI, you know, offered me that opportunity. You know, it was something I had asked about. No one talked me into it. I had certainly asked about it. And it seemed like it was going to be a, a great way to continue to grow my career and had had success in the GM role um, at the Liberty. And so I thought it was what better time than to do it in an organization that you know, I was known and I, I knew how the business worked. And really it was it was going to be how do I take what I do as a general manager and extend that to other hotels? How do you how do you add value? to on-property teams. It's easy to add value to someone who's less experienced, but how do you add value to people who are talented and ex just as experienced as you are? And what do you bring to the table? That whole rubric was was really, you know, interesting. Mm -hmm. 
And so did you enjoy your time in the corporate world? Like, was it what you thought it would be? I don't know if I had a clear idea of what it would be. Um, and yes is the answer to did I enjoy it. It was instantly being for me. It was a lot of hotels and I was aligned against an ownership group that had assets from La Jolla, California to the Midwest, up to Vermont and down to the Florida Keys. So I was literally, you know, in an airplane seat almost. So that part of it was definitely, you know, that's that's not easy to to do that while you're doing so much traveling, but to instantly be plugged into 15 markets, you know, in, in multiple hotels, I thought that was just amazing. And the goal was how quickly can I learn and how quickly can I, you know, become not just a part of these hotel teams, but really connect with the asset management teams of ownership. So it is a value add proposition. I did the role for a year. I want to say that I, after a year, I had a really good handle of how to do those and was in the process of, you know, doing just that, starting to see results change, you know, in some places. And then didn't, in my opinion, didn't get a chance to finish, you know, the story. And it was really to do with changing tactics, which, you know, every company needs to do. And so I became that job as a part of, becoming part of a bigger corporate team and then the corporate team shrunk. So it was, you know, it was definitely something I enjoyed doing, mm-hmm. uh, but at, you know, when it ended, it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world because there was going to be another, you know, another opportunity to, you know, to be, you know, part of a great hotel. Yeah. Which brings us to where you are now, right? This iconic intercontinental Miami. So tell us a little bit about that property and what brought you there. So, you know, like in many ways, it is about who you know and making connections. And so at the time when I started saying, okay, Glenn has a need for a new opportunity, there were people associated with this hotel who were looking, you know, because of a a transfer of a general manager, a longtime general manager, there was an opportunity. And I was at that time going to be, I was living out of my house on Cape Cod, wasn't sure, you know, if we were going to sell that house or not, and just still keep that base. And Miami was certainly within you know, close enough proximity to make that happen if that's what we wanted to do. So that the geography made sense. I was unfamiliar with the intercontinental brand, although certainly it's a very iconic, you know, the oldest luxury hotel brand at 75 years young, but I didn't know that much about the property. So I really had to, you know, come down to the hotel and make sure it was something that I thought would be a good fit for me personally. There was no question about it being a great hotel. It was just, is this going to work for, you know, for myself and for for my wife, Kathy? Well, and, you know, I think you started there in February, I think? Started there in February 2020. So I had a good six weeks. And this hotel went from being the NFL headquarters, you know, in a Super Bowl to being in the peak, you know, season of South Florida convention business. And then, you know, it all stopped very suddenly, you know, and I reflected on that a lot over the last few years of, you know, people, you know, groan when I tell them when I arrived and it's like, you know, I think I arrived for a reason and I tried to leverage every ounce of my experience to help lead the hotel through, you know, as bad of times as any of us could ever imagine and then come out the other side. And so it's, I've been very, very fortunate, um, 
you know, to be here and to be able to work with the talented team that I work with. Yeah, we're, you know, we started, we started getting our group business back probably beginning of maybe mid first quarter, a little bit in 21, but it really wasn't until we started hitting the fall of 21 when, you know, big groups started traveling again. Yeah. And then the last 12 months have been just, you know, extremely busy and a successful period for the hotel. Well, I can imagine, you know, when you're making that decision, right? So it's call it January of 2020, you're living in Cape Cod or Boston, and you have an opportunity to go to Miami in January or February. That's got to be a pretty easy sell to Kathy. Say, honey, we can either stay here and not see the outdoors for another, you know, four or five months, or we can go to Miami and be in the warm weather forever. Well, you know, you'd think being Canadian that I wouldn't be afraid of cold weather. And obviously I wasn't if we would, you know, move back to Boston. But yes, the the locations that we had circled on our, our map as potential places to go were relatively few and they all involved palm trees. Yeah. Uh, so it was a good fit. I don't blame you. You're a good Canadian because you got to get that cold out of there. But so listen, in the essence of time, because I know you're extremely busy and it is Tuesday after all, wanted to give you the opportunity. I know Kathy obviously has played a humongous part in your personal and professional life, but I want to give you a chance now to thank some other folks. You've mentioned, you know, the likes of Stephen Foster and that, but I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you thank some other folks if you'd like to do that. Right. No, thank you, Brian, for that. And, you know, I said his name before, but I count, you know, Gerardo Barrios is, is a real mentor to me. He was the general manager of the Sheraton Gateway when I joined that team. And to me, and he's been someone that I've kept in touch with my entire career. We ended up living in the Bahamas at the same time. And I was fortunate enough to see he and his wife just a couple months ago again. And the, the reason why he stands out so much, because he was I think genuinely the first person who tried to help me. And it's not to say you don't, we didn't work with great people and people who taught us a lot, but I really felt that he was, you know, someone who would, you know, tell me what I needed to know, even if I wasn't smart enough to ask the question. Yeah. You know, and I, I consider Steve Foster to be a sponsor, right? He made things happen. And I always appreciate it, but I, I, I appreciate Steve more than he'll never remember this, but I think one of the times I had to, one of the first phone calls I had to make to him when I was reporting to him as a brand new general manager was losing a very important airline contract, you know, expecting the worst. And he handled it with such grace and humility and humanity that I'll never, you know, I'll never forget him for that. And he definitely helped me get to, you know, Hawaii as well and start that part. So those two gentlemen are really key for me. I think really, you know, there's so many names, but it's the leadership teams. If I look back at all those assignments, I kind of became known for someone who was willing to go into conditions that weren't ideal for whatever reason, ownership, results, market, and, and always made something of it. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me. There was great teams there. And I think if there's anything that I learned along the way was how critical it was to put the right team together, whether it's people you inherit, you know, and others you bring in. And none of, you know, none of what I've accomplished, you know, in my career could have been done without senior leaders, you know, who at the hotels, this hotel in Miami, certainly no exception. I'm so impressed with the talent. 
um, and the tenure of the people that I work with on a daily basis, that those are the ones that, you know, we, we do take, you know, we get the blame as general managers. We certainly take a lot of credit that doesn't belong to us, you know, personally, it belongs to our teams. And I'm extremely thankful for, you know, my current team of leaders at Intercontinental Miami. Well, you're so right. I mean, the ability to put the right team members in place, you know, the one thing I've learned over the years is I've noticed, you know, having worked in so many different companies and industries or parts of the hospitality business was looking at those leaders that really knew how to put the right team in place, right? And to your point, some of it they inherited and the rest they kind of, you know, brought in on their own. And putting that team together just makes the whole whole difference, in my opinion. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough for doing the show. This season, I wanted to get some really strong general managers in here that had either international experience and or just really iconic experience. And we had Simone Dulles, who has done wonderful things globally. And your name was, you know, on top three of the list that I wanted to get on the show. So I can't thank you enough for doing it. It means means a great deal. So thank you for being on the show. And I think with that, we'll let you get back to running that little 653. Now, you've got a, like, is, do you guys have like over 100,000 meetings? Square feet of meeting space too. As well? uh, indoor space, air conditioned, a hundred, and then another probably forty thousand outside. Wow, yeah, because another guy who'd been on the show that I've got to know, Steve Turk, who I refer to as Mister Miami, and he started this Biscayne Bay Coffee Company, and portions of the sales go into helping Biscayne Bay stay pure and clean. And I told him I was going to be talking to you. And he said, Oh my God, that hotel is just a, you know, it's a, it's a classic and I've never been there. So I, but as soon as I mentioned it, he says, Oh, that is a, just an iconic hotel. It's definitely my pleasure to be, you know, here working with this team and, and Brian, thank you for the platform. I really appreciate being able to say thank you to a lot of people, including yourself. It's been well, great. you can't, you, wait a minute. You can't thank the host. That's not part of the show. No, but it's true. Yeah. You helped me. So I'm going to say thank you. Uh, okay. Well, I'll take that. Well, listen, thanks again for being on the show. Hopefully I'll get down to Miami and see you in the, in the cold winter months here, get out of Connecticut and get down there and, and see you. So say hi to Kathy for me and uh, we'll chat soon. I will. Thanks so much, Brian. Hope you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.